Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen, amen. Good morning, church. So thankful for all that God is doing in our midst. So thankful just for each one of you and just to be part of this faith family as we gather as the church and we go out proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and um, encouraged last week by our time together as we were reminded uh, that we come together and we proclaim with one voice uh, the greatness of our God and we go out into this community on mission for the glory of his name. Uh, You know, Clark was uh, praying in his prayer just about this thought of us being just, just these people with open hands and man, I was encouraged by just the reminder of what a treasure it is. Uh, to be a, a, a people who have uh, heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've had an opportunity uh, to respond uh, to his grace in our lives. And because of that, everything changes. Because of that, our lives have been transformed. And we're a people, the church is a people who believe with all that we are, right? That we, because of what Christ has done, that we have time, energy, resources, that everything that we have belongs to him. And that uh, we would use uh, all of those things for the glory of his name. And this morning, I, I think about that thought and this thought of motivation. What is it? that is our motivation. In life, what, what is our motivation? Uh, when you think about motivation, what does that, what does that really mean? Uh, what does it mean to be motivated to do something? And uh, in the dictionary, you'll find a definition that reads something like this. Uh, motivation, the reason or reasons one has for acting or behaving in a particular way. Now, you know, I think about motivation and why we do the things we do. Maybe if you've got uh, young children, it may be that uh, you can see sometimes that they want something and right their motivation for uh, maybe doing a little extra or uh, being engaged in kind of a a, a different way around the house, right? You can see, you're kind of like, what are they up to, right? What do they want, right? You know, that kind of uh, place. I can remember when I first met my wife, I was thinking about this marriage conference that we'll be uh, having right here next week. And uh, I remember when Sherry and I first met, we were working together and uh, I just finished high school. She was still in high school and she was working uh, at Lowe's and I was in college and was uh, still working there. And so we met and began to, uh, to talk a little bit. And I began to, uh, to, to kind of like her along the way. And I, I think she was beginning to like me a little bit along the way. And uh, so I, I was living in Cullowee, but on my days off, uh, I was motivated to drive across that mountain, right? Because of this beautiful young lady, right, that I uh, was beginning to be fond of, right? And so I would come over the mountain and I had to have a good reason to go to Lowe's. And so I'm thinking, what do I need? Well, at that time in my life, it sure ain't two by fours, right? So I would buy batteries (laughs) every time, right? And so uh, I had like enough AA batteries, right, to supply every flashlight we own, right? And and she, she told me later, she was like, I always was wondering, what in the world does he buy those batteries for? What's he doing? with all those things, right? But so I would drive across the mountain, right? And then I was motivated uh, by this desire that I had to get to know her more. I was motivated in that direction. You know, I was reading uh, some leadership things and, and they shared what they had studied about employees. And they said, people are motivated 
uh, employees specifically are motivated for several different reasons. The first one is, is achievement, right? And so maybe there's this desire that, that we have to achieve certain things. For those of you that uh, are dads and, and boys that are involved in trail life, uh, you know, we, we are grateful for what God is doing uh, through uh, trail life. We'll be meeting today following church. We'll have a, uh, another great day where we just uh, pour into to dads and their sons and just to see uh, just what God's doing there and, and, and boys without dads, just this desire to engage in this, uh, in raising godly men, right, who would, uh, who would do what Clark described earlier, who would, who would love their families and shepherd them well and who would lead in their homes. And, and I was thinking about that. You know, we, these boys, right, they can get patches. They can get things that they earn. And so the achievement can be a motivator sometimes, a, a power can be a motivator. We, we sometimes can, can have this desire. I remember when I first uh, had people that worked for me or I had those kind of things. And, and it's a place that men uh, can, can find themselves specifically, right? This desire. Uh, and really, a lot of times with men, you'll see three things, right? Sex, money, and power. Those things can, uh, can, can be drivers and, and things that can cause us to go awry. Uh, and we, we see those kind of things happen. Um, affiliation, right? There's this acceptance. Sometimes maybe you students would uh, desire to be uh, in, in the in crowd, or you desire to have certain friends, or you desire certain things. And so there's a motivation for acceptance. There's a motivation uh, that, that you would do certain things or act a certain way uh, for those things. Security, adventure, those are other things that are there. Uh, I was talking to people yesterday, I said, hey, what, what motivates people? What do you think? And they're like, well, sometimes it's fear, right? Fear was a motivator when I was growing up. Like if I went too far uh, off the path, right, my dad would uh, motivate the seat of learning, right? And he would help me uh, and, and so there was that motivation, right, that, that was there to do the right thing. Well, we're, we're going to be in, in a new series for the next several weeks. I don't know how long uh, we'll be there, but as we uh, do that, we're going to be walking through Romans chapter 12. Uh, I want to encourage you, you can take your copy of God's Word and turn uh, there this morning. And we're going to be walking through Romans chapter 12. And uh, the title of this series uh, and really this thought is going to be uh, off of this one word, therefore. Now, when you see that word in Scripture uh, and you uh, learn anything about studying the Scriptures, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to always ask a question, right? And many of you know the question that you ask when you see that word, right? So you see the word therefore and you say, what is it? Therefore, right? Why is it there? And so uh, today, as we kick off this series, we're going to look at one particular therefore in verse 1 of Romans chapter 12. And in order to understand why it's therefore, we're going to look at three other therefores that come ahead of it in the book of Romans. Now, uh, the book of Romans is, is really a systematic theology, right? The closest thing we have in Scripture to a systematic theology that Paul has given us as a gift. And uh, it's my heart. And, and, and if the Lord uh, continues to direct that way, that, that maybe I will walk through that with you over the course of a year or maybe five. And so we'll see. Kelly doesn't think I can make it, but, uh, but maybe in, in a year's period of time, maybe to walk through that book. But this morning, uh, we're, we're going to kind of start, and I won't say it's at a midpoint, but it's at this hinge point in the book of Romans. And what we're going to see uh, today, and the title of this message is Motivated by mercy. And we're going to look at this therefore and the reason that we do the things that we do. Now, there's a lot of reason that we would look at this chapter. I believe in the scriptures that this may give us, uh, this specific chapter may give us the most 
uh, just concise and intentional look at what it looks like to live as a body of believers and to do life together, what it looks like uh, to begin uh, this journey of following Christ in light of all he has done for us. Uh, Church, we have a lot to celebrate, right? We know our our, uh, baptism we plan today is going to be rescheduled, but we are uh, right at 40 people since April that have taken that next step of obedience and following Christ in baptism. It's been an incredible, yeah, it's been, yeah, we can give the Lord praise for that. And, And the question is like, You've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, and you've, uh, you've been born again into the family of God. Now what? What therefore do you do? Now then, how will we live? How does our life change? What does it look like to live uh, in this new life of Christ? Not, uh, man, not leaning on ourselves, not leaning on our own understanding, but living surrendered to Christ. And so what motivates us to live for his glory? What motivates us? To do that Now, whether you're a new believer, like some of these that have been baptized this year, or whether you've been a follower of Christ for years, I believe that you will be encouraged by this journey. And this journey is going to give us a real picture of the will of God for our lives. Now, a lot of us, we wonder what is the will of God for our lives. We, we ask that question sometimes, and we ask that question uh, like the will of God is lost somewhere, right? And, and we think about, hey, what does God want to do in my life? What is the will of God for my life. Maybe you came in in the midst of a, a sexual integrity uh, video this morning that was promoting a class that we're doing. And maybe you'd say, well, why are we offering something like that? Well, uh, when you think about the will of God for your life, I, Paul said this in uh, Philippians 1.6, and I'm so grateful and confident of this very thing, the same thing Paul was confident of. When I see uh, you and the way that you are following Christ, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will see it through into the day of completion in Christ Jesus. I'm so grateful for that. And when we wonder what is the will of God for our lives, well, one thing that we can know, and there's other places in Scripture that point to things that we're going to glean from as we walk through this series, but first uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, the scripture says, for this is the will of God for your life. So if you're wondering what the will of God is for your life, then like if you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, you can see something that you can guarantee and know that is the will of God for your life. And, and the scripture says this, this is the will of God, uh, your sanctification. So it is the will of God that he would take the, the spirit of God through the word of God and would transform the people of God to look more like the son of God. And that we as a body of believers, that we would grow in his grace and mercy and that we would be conformed to the image of God. We'd read in Romans eight twenty eight that we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And what we see is that the work that God is doing for good, that everything about uh, every moment, right? Everything that is going on is not always good, right? We have difficult things, right? We have hard things that we walk through, but we know that God is working in the midst of even those difficult things to conform us to the image of his son. That's what the verse is following. Romans 8, 28 would let us see that it is the will of God that we would be conformed into the image of his son. And, and, and that verse in 1 Thessalonians 4, he said, for this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. And then the 
the rest of that verse says that you would abstain from sexual immorality, that you would handle yourself and that you would be able to, to, to take this vessel that God has given you in your body and you could walk in purity and integrity. And, and so what we understand is that as Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica then, and, and if Paul was writing to the church of today, he would understand that that is a place that is wrecking homes. And it is a place, see, that the reality is that, that, that God is wanting to conform us to the image of his son, that we are called to pursue holiness. And we're going to talk about why we pursue holiness. We're going to talk about the motivation that we would have to live holy lives and to be set apart. You know, the, the very beginning of the book of Romans, Paul uh, speaks of himself and he says, I'm set apart to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, we'll just have to read that. It's not going to be on your screen uh, this morning, but in Romans uh, chapter 1, I want to read just a couple of verses there. Paul says, I, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And, and I want to encourage you that from the beginning uh, to the end today, I, I'm, I'm, my heart is that we would be a people who would be wholly surrendered and would recognize that God's will for our lives is that we might uh, set ourselves apart, that we might be consecrated, that we might be set apart for the will of God in proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and the, the whole uh, first part of chapter one gives us this beautiful picture of the gospel of God. It says he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. We'll read some of those uh, this morning concerning his son who was born, a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by resurrection from the dead. I, I'm so grateful that we don't have a God uh, that, that died on the cross and then was placed in a tomb and stayed there. But on the third day that he rose from the grave and he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And the Bible would tell us in Romans chapter 8 that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. I want you to understand that when we talk about the will of God and we talk about walking in purity and holiness, this is not something uh, that you've been called to that you can't walk in. It's something that you've been called to that you've been given the spirit of God so that you might walk in. So that you might have said the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. Romans 6. Uh, would give us this reminder, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid, right? How shall we who are no longer in sin continue to walk therein, right? And we see the power of God in the people of God. Paul would say in Romans 1, I may just preach through the whole thing. We'll just keep going, right? In Romans 1, right? He says, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation first for the Jew and then to the Greek. Verse 17, he would say, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so we're going to talk about what it looks like to live by faith, what it looks like to walk in that. And so what is our motivation? Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the scripture says this. I'm going to be uh, reading it from the King James Version because that's how I hit it in my heart and that's how it comes out when I talk uh, through uh, some of these verses. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the scripture says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren. Now, when you read that word beseech, you'll see in some of your translations, it's this word urge. Now, I want to remind you that this is coming from the apostle Paul. So he is a man with authority. And rather than coming and saying, hey, uh, you do this because I'm Paul and I'm telling you to do it. Paul says, hey, I want to come alongside you. He says, I beseech you, therefore, there's the word. He says, I beseech you. And it's this word urge. It's the, it's the verb form of the noun that Jesus uses for uh, the Holy Spirit, the parakleo, when he talks about the Holy Spirit being the paraclete. So he gives this thought. He says, as an apostle, God has changed my life. Remember, Paul said, I am the chief among sinners. And he says, I implore you, I urge you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. So he's talking to believers. He says, listen, church. He said, listen, believers at Rome. He says, I implore you, I urge you, I come alongside of you. 
Brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, as we walk through this passage, I want to remind you, God uh, is not wanting things from us. God wants us. God wants all of us. There's not a part of our lives that is reserved for us and a part that we surrender to him. We surrender to him as Lord of all. He is Lord of our lives. And what we read in Romans, these first 11 chapters of Romans, we're going to see the work of God, the things that God has done in our place, on our behalf, the work that he has done. And then the last part of the book of Romans, we're going to see the will of God, how we live in light of that. What is our motivation? What is it that gives us this drive? What is it that causes some people uh, to, to get out of bed early in the morning and work out? There's a motivation that's beside that, right? What is it that causes the people of God to surrender their lives and to give everything that they have for the glory of his name? Here's what Paul says. This is the motivation that you need. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. This is the mercy of God that he spelled out in the 11 preceding chapters. In light of what Christ has done, in light of God's mercy to fallen humanity, this is how you live. In light of the provision of his son, Jesus Christ, this is how you live. The first part of Romans, Romans uh, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 1 even, we, we see that everyone is without excuse, right? We see that we're in a mess, okay? So the, the first thing we want to see, if you're taking notes, is the mess. And the beginning part of Romans, you see the mess that humanity finds themselves in. Uh, there's a therefore in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20, and the scripture says this, therefore, by the deeds of the law, so he's already said, hey, there, there's none righteous. He said, there's none righteous, not even one. He's reminded them in Romans chapter 3 of just how how bad off that we are, right? When you read Romans chapter three, you'll find that there's none righteous, no, not one, that there's not anyone that seeks after God, that every one of us is in a mess, that, that, that those that are uh, non-Jew, the Greeks, that, they, uh, that creation declares the glory of God, that they are without excuse, that his divine nature has been revealed. He says, listen, and, and by the way, I believe according to Romans chapter one, there are not really any atheists in the world. I think they're truth suppressors according to the scripture, that the truth has been revealed and they are without excuse. And he goes on and says, those of you that are Jews, you even had the Torah, you had the law and you've rejected God and you're without excuse. And so what we see is that we're in a mess and that the world is guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall be no flesh justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So we sin, our sin is revealed to us. We understand that there's none righteous. The scripture says in verse 23 of Romans 3, that all have sinned, right? And fallen short of the glory of God. And we recognize that we are, are part of that group, right? That all of us have sinned and fallen short of his glory. The Bible would tell us that we see the mess that we are in, but not only is there a mess, we see the mercy of God. Look in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Another, therefore, the scripture says this, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you see this word, we are justified by faith. We 
I have a word that we use sometimes in church land, this word justification, this word uh, that, that maybe many of you are familiar with. So first we see condemnation. The world is guilty uh, before God. The world is in a mess. And we see the mercy of God that, that God has given in his grace, the ability for us, it, those who would believe and trust in Jesus Christ, that we could be justified by faith, that there's nothing that we could do to earn it, that the law couldn't get us there. But if we believe and trust in Jesus Christ, that justified by faith. That word justified is a legal term and it simply means to declare righteous. And so when we believe and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that God declares us righteous. And positionally, in that moment, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God looks upon you. And the, the Bible would tell us there's a word called imputation that we would see uh, in, in the book of Romans taught very clearly. And we would see that the righteousness of Christ is credited to the believer by faith. And when God looks upon us, he sees us as Christ. We are able to be in in the presence of God. But here's the truth of what's going on, right? We are justified by faith in Christ. But the reality is that positionally, while we've been made right with God, practically, God's still working on us, right? Anybody already there yet? All right, God's still working on us. This process of sanctification that begins in the life of a believer, uh, we're we given the spirit of God. The scripture, as we shared earlier, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing in Philippians 1, 6. He who began a good work in you, he'll see it through to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. So as we abide in Christ, as we walk in Christ, God is doing a work in the life of a believer. Verse 2 of Romans chapter 12 would say that we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. We're going to look at that next week, but that we're to be transformed. This word transformed, it's an interesting word. Uh, it's, it's this picture of, of from one form to another. It's this picture of us uh, being changed right from within, and, and, and God is doing a work in us as we uh, walk in his plan to conform us to the image of his son. So we're declared righteous, this act of God where he pronounces a sinner to be righteous because of a sinner's faith in Jesus Christ. Now, how can God, how, how can a holy God, how can a holy God forgive you and I? How can a holy God forgive me for my sin? And here's the reality. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus in our place. That's what Romans teaches us. We see how God in the substitutionary death that Christ died in our place. And, and, and it, was, it was prophesied by the prophets of old. Isaiah 53 verse four through six would say, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All, all of us like sheep, we have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Romans 5, 9 would say much more than having now been justified by his blood. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. We are saved from God by God through the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. One commentator said it like this, radically sinful man was radically lost, but God provided a radical righteousness through the radical person of his son, which made a radical new life in view of history possible. And in view of this mercy, God calls us to commitment. He calls us 
to everything. Romans chapter 8, another incredible therefore in the book of Romans. Uh, you know, we sometimes wonder, could God really forgive me of my sin? Could God really look at me and see me as Christ? And, and, and there's this thought, you know, that I've talked about sometimes we can be motivated by fear, but the scripture would tell us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm so grateful to know that because of the finished work of the cross, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Glory to God. He paid it all. The price has been paid. The penalty has been paid. Paul uh, declares all of these incredible truths of theology in, in Romans chapter 1 uh, all the way to chapter 11. He, he ends with this praise of doxology in Romans 11. Uh, the last verse of Romans 11, he says this, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. We see the mess. We see the, the depravity. We see that we're far worse off than we realize or even think. And we see the mercy of God as he poured out his wrath on his son, Jesus, on the cross in our place so that we could be made right and receive the righteousness of Christ, that our relationship with God could be restored. And so then, we not only do we see the mess, not only do we see God's mercy, but in Romans chapter 12, he says, this is the motivation for the people of God. This is why you live. In light of the mess, you have experienced the mercy of God, and it is the motivation for everything that you do. We are motivated, church, by mercy. It is not that we do things for God because somehow we expect God to do something else for us. It is not uh, that we are looking ahead and saying, hey, uh, you know, if I sow this seed and I do this, then maybe God's going to bless me, make me healthy, wealthy, all those kind of things. I want you to understand uh, there is nothing more that God uh, needs to do in order for us to live for him. He has done all that we could ever even imagine or ask or think. We are motivated by mercy because of what he has already done. This, this thought, right, that we've, we were condemned, that we see, we see this condemnation, the world in a mess. We see justification through faith in Jesus Christ. And now in Romans 12, he is calling his people to consecration. And this consecration is this command, this desire, this, this understanding that as the people of God, that we need to set ourselves apart, right, for the service of God. And that we might separate ourselves uh, from the mess that's all around, right? You'll see a definition for consecration, it's the separation of oneself from things that are unclean. Why would we deny the things of the world? Why would we turn? Why would we pursue holiness in our lives, right? We're motivated by mercy. And so we separate ourselves from the mess in light of the mercy of God. And here's what he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, verse one, by the mercies of God, this is why that you present, this is our job, right? We present ourselves to God, this dedication, this consecration, it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It is a posture of surrender, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Some of your translations will say your spiritual service. The word that is used in the Greek is, is a word that we get our word logical for. And it just says in light of all that God has done, the reasonable response for every believer in light of, of, of the work of the cross and what he's done in our place, that the response of every believer, the reasonable worship that we might have, the reasonable response to his grace is surrender. And we present ourselves to God. We, we don't 
dedicate ourselves. The world says, hey, whatever feels good, do it. Whatever you think, whatever you want to do, and you, you kind of come up with your own morality. But what we understand in the book of Romans is that our morality comes out of the theology of who God is and who God is determines how we live. The work that he has done, it determines those things. We don't do our own thing as followers of Jesus Christ. The scripture says that you've been bought with a price and you're to glorify God in your bodies. We don't do our own way. We don't live. Listen, Jesus is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. It, it, we don't live for the glory of our family. Listen, when we, when we live for the glory of God, our family is going to be blessed. When we walk in the ways of God, the people that are around us are going to be blessed. The people that we work with, the people that are there, but we don't do it for them. We do it for him. And as a result of that, all those people are blessed, right? We offer ourselves to God and God doesn't want something from us. He wants us. He wants our surrender. We present our bodies. This is our responsibility. We've been saved by grace. We offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Listen, there is no sacred and there is no secular for the life of a Jesus follower. The world is his sanctuary and the temple of God is the believers, right? We, we are the temple of a holy God and he lives within us and we glorify God and surrender a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. It is our reasonable service. See, this is what Paul's saying in light of what he's done. This is how you live. Our morality, our ethics, our worldview, everything about our lives all flows from who God is and who we are in him. You know, Romans 1 through 11, the deepest theological truths in all the scripture. And we can, we can lean into those and we can spend the rest of our lives reading and, and, and discussing and talking and and. and trying to navigate some of the deepest theological tensions that the world experiences. But what Paul desires is that we would read Romans 1 through 11 and we would see the grace of God in our lives and that we would respond in surrender and obedience for what he has done. And he desires, right? Not for our motives to be getting something from him, but obedience from the heart in light of what he has done. And my call for every believer in this room, right, is that we would lay down our will in surrender to his, that we would present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Sam Shoemaker said it well. He said, to be a Christian, listen to this, to be a Christian means to give as much of myself as I can to as much of Jesus Christ as I know. To be a Christian means to give as much of myself as I can to as much of Jesus Christ as I know. On December 27th of 2002, I heard the gospel. You know, I had responded to, a, to some type of an invitation at a vacation Bible school with a bunch of kids where, man, just a whole group of us came forward and when I was young. And I didn't understand the gospel, didn't understand anything about what Christ had done in my place. And I just kind of lived like the world for many years. And I'd say, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, I'm, what else am I? What other box am I going to check? Like, you know, I, I repeated this prayer. I, I did all these things. I'm, I'm good, right? On December 27th of 2002, a man preached the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And he said, if anyone is in Christ, he said, he is a new creature. That old things are passed away and all things are becoming new. That we, we see the work of God in our lives. And I recognized that day that there had never been any change in my life. And when the spirit of God takes residence inside the people of God, there is change in their life. And, and that day, uh, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And everything in my life changed. I came with a, with a posture and I said, God, you know who I am. God, you know how messed up I am. You know all the things that I've done. I said, God, if you can use me, if you can forgive me, man, I'm yours. I surrender. 
here's the thing. I turned from as much as I knew of my sin. It's an old Puritan quote. He said, I turned from as much as I knew of my sin to as much as I knew of my God. And as both of those things have increased, so is my practice of repentance. And see, this is the posture of the people of God, where when we are justified by faith in God, there's a moment in our life where we repent of our sin and we surrender our life to Jesus. And then the continued posture of Jesus' followers is a posture of repentance and surrender. And the more that I learn about Jesus, the more that I love him and the more that I surrender, the more that I desire him to be Lord, the more that, that I turn from my sin and we continue to give as much of ourselves as we can to as much of Jesus as we know. And that's the call today, right? Whatever areas of your life right, that you've been holding on to, listen, whatever, whatever things, these little, these little parts of our life, right? Jesus means it all. He is worthy of our worship. Our reasonable response is that we would surrender all of ourselves to him, that we would surrender all of our lives to him for the glory of his name. You know, the gentleman that was being baptized today, Jeff Edmonds, at the end of a service a few weeks back, uh, Jeff came down this, this aisle and uh, we were preaching in Matthew's gospel, chapter number 16. And there's a place where Jesus asked his disciples, he said, who do you say that I am? He began the question with, who do men say that I am? And there was all kind of response out there. And there's all kind of response in the world you live in. There's all kind of response all around you. But the real question is, who do you say Jesus is? And that day, Jeff came down the aisle and said, Jeff, how can I pray for you, brother? He'd come from a Mormon background and just had uh, been coming to Bible study on Wednesdays. And our hearts had just been just connected right away. And it had been incredible to see what God was doing in his life. And, and as he came down the aisle, he just held his arms out that, that morning. And I said, Jeff, how can I pray for you? And he said, I surrender. I said, amen, brother. And this morning, right, for every one of us, if you've never trusted Jesus for salvation, you've never believed and trusted in the finished work of the cross, I want to invite you to look to the cross this morning. And you look to that cross and you say, what Jesus did on that cross, it counted for me. And I believe and trust in him. And the Bible says that you can be justified by faith. You can be declared righteous. And God will begin to work in you through the power of his Holy Spirit to conform you to the image of his Son. Respond and surrender this morning and surrender your life to Jesus. Be born again into the family of God. You'll receive forgiveness of sin. The grace of God has been extended to you. And for every believer here, we are motivated by mercy. I pray that you would look to the cross and remember all that Jesus has done in your place. And that it would motivate you to live for the glory of God. And that you would recognize a living sacrifice. We need it every day. Right? We surrender our life. We, we come and surrender every day. God, I love you. Use me for your kingdom. We're motivated by mercy. I'm going to pray for us this morning. And we're going to respond in worship. Father, we're grateful. Lord, as we are reminded of all that you have accomplished in our place, God. We, we're reminded as we have read the book of Romans this week, Lord. Just reminded that we are far worse off than we think apart from you. And God, that there's none of us righteous, not even one, Lord. That our righteousness is as filthy rags in your sight. But Lord, I'm so thankful that in your grace and in your mercy, God, that in your plan that Jesus stepped into the midst of this mess, stepped into the midst of brokenness, that he took all of our sin and all of our shame, God, that you placed it all upon him on the cross, Lord, 
that he became sin. He was still holy God. Lord, there was no sin. Uh, he was still holy God, Lord, a holy sacrifice. But Lord, you punished him as if he had committed every sin. God, for every believer, for all time, God. To know, Lord, that God, all of our sin was placed on him. And that he died a sinner's death. And Lord, my only response is surrender. It's repentance and surrender. God, to recognize that my sin, that it was on that cross, Jesus paid for that. And so I, I turned from that and just trust in him. Lord, in surrender. God, I pray, Lord, that this morning, if there's anyone here that's never done that, God, that today, God, their response would simply be surrender. God, I'm yours. And God, I pray for every believer, Lord, that we would reflect on your mercy. And God, it would be motivation to live every day for the glory of your name. God, that there'd be those moments like Paul in Romans 7 where we would miss it. God, I recognize that there's been those moments for us this week. God, moments where the things that we ought to do, we didn't do. God, where the things we want to do, we don't do. But God, I'm reminded that your grace is enough, Lord. And God, I pray you restore us. You send us out for the glory of your name. God, we love you. God, we come with a posture, with our hands open, surrender to you and worship in light of all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me this morning?